Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we kick off. We are live on the 28th of September in the Sugar Club on Leeson Street in Dublin City Centre. Tickets are available now on eventbrite.ie and the link for that is the bottom of this podcast that you're listening to right now. And if you're a member at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack, there is a discount code waiting for you in your email notifications. If you're not a member, please join us. It's a price of a fancy cup of coffee and a scone once a month to you. The easiest bit of activism you can do. You'll be helping to carve out that little bit of space that this left-leaning, independent, ad-free, sponsor-free podcast platform needs. And by paying it forward, you're keeping it free for everyone. So take a minute and click the link at the top of the podcast. This is patreon.com forward slash tortoise And join us for a month. That's all I'm asking you to do. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. Thanks for liking, sharing and recommending this to people. I'm shutting up now. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. My name is Tony Groves and Martin, on this screen you look tiny, even smaller than usual. You've gotten out of hospital and they've shrunk you. How are you keeping? I have. They've shrunk me down. I'd say another half kilo. Doing all right. Doing all right. Still here. Uh, and is it, is, it, uh, is it another case of, look, you know, we'll all be back here in a few weeks again saying, Martin. Gosh, for God's sakes. I think... Uh, Doctors know my intimate parts better than I do, Tony. I, I just for listeners' benefits, he said uh, one time. He said, "What was it? He go, he'd go around stark naked at this stage because he does not no shame. Don't care, don't care. I'll walk into any any without a stitch on me and say, fix it." <laughs> Oh, you think I'm joking? I have to drop him there. I, you know, you, you absolutely know. <laughs> I get the call. I have to go into hospital. Here we go. Anyway, look, we were, we, this is really bad start for us, but we are delighted to be joined on the podcast for the first time by um, journalist, freelance journalist, uh, Tommy Green, who is uh, Belfast based. Tommy, it's good to talk to you. How are you keeping? Thanks, Tony. Yeah, uh, great to be on. Uh, how are you? No, we're good. We're good. We're we're looking forward to this. But before, look, we we spoke briefly at the weekend. Um, well, Martin was uh on his on his holidays in Bowmount Hospital. I spoke briefly with Sam McElwain from um the Shrapnel Podcast, and we were mentioning what's happened in in Loch Ness. And I saw that basically you wrote the definitive report on it. So if, if before we can't, I want to touch on something else that we were going to talk about this week in more detail. You've also been writing about the legacy bill. Can I just say to you before, first of all, um, I read your report on the legacy bill. I think there's two articles now that, that have gone up for, yes. for the, um, can I just get your sense of the, the mood? Because I will get into more detail with, with Gavin Booth about it in more time, but can you get, get the mood? How, uh, has anger just uh, dissipated now or are people still going, you know, we we want to we want to make a stand on this over the last since since it sort of became news in the last few days? Yeah, so yeah, I'm sure obviously Gavin can speak to this with a lot more expertise than I can. But I mean, yeah, there is a lot of there is a lot of anger here. Obviously, the bill um, faced, you know, widespread opposition across, you know, the island, basically, never mind just the north. So um yeah, and, and any 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 families I've spoken to, you know, really just kind of see this as the the latest in a in a long line, unfortunately, of of obstacles and battles that they faced, you know, in their efforts to try and uh, get justice, and in lots of cases, just to try and establish what happened. So, uh, yeah, um, I expect there will be a lot more to come there, and obviously, the um, the the government in Dublin is considering whether it may bring. Uh, an interstate case against the uh, against the British government at the European Court of Human Rights would be the first example of that since the seventies, since the uh, hooded men uh, case. Um, that yeah, it was over obviously alleged torture, yeah. um, and which I believe the US government and others uh, 
that have relied on or they relied on the ruling in that case to defend themselves from allegations of of torture in, in Iraq and, and other places. So yeah, um yeah, there, there there will be a lot to come there, I'm sure. And obviously, yeah, the the uh the mood here is uh, is still as, as far as I can tell, yeah, people are, are still very angry. It's it's interesting how you you framed that though, because it's the one subject that I've been told from across communities everybody's annoyed about. This isn't green or orange. This is just this is just mm-hmm. justice. And you 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 make an important point. They want to ascertain. They want to establish facts, and you know where people's names need to be cleared or people's things need to. They're not expecting, you know, that people are going to um, serve time for some of these uh, historic crimes. They're simply looking for a way of going this is what actually happened this is what happened to my 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 father or my mother or and and that's that's the case isn't it really they're not they don't have any great ideas that there's going to be some sort of um day on the on the steps of the court really a reckoning or whatever no. No. yeah exactly no i mean um no like a lot, a lot of the families i've spoken to are not not looking to even bring criminal prosecutions they're you know they're involved in inquests and they really are just looking for uh yeah the the you know, an airing of of of, uh, of what happens, as well as I guess, yeah, in some cases, you have to clear the names of their, um, you know, their their deceased relatives. Like, you know, in one case, I spoke to uh, one of the families uh, involved with the Spring Hill uh, massacre in West Belfast, um, uh, nineteen seventy two, and um, you know, uh, in in the military records and the official kind of records there. Uh, their grandfather uh, is down as as being kind of a, a gunman, and they're as much as anything else. They're looking just to clear his name yeah. at this point. But the inquest is one of the 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 many that are, you know could well be shut down. I think it's like you know they've got like eight weeks or or even more still to to go in that one. And if they don't have like a those eight weeks aren't scheduled, and and if my understanding is even if like there's one witness left, you know once we reach kind of the May deadline, then the whole thing times out and. It, transfers to this new this new body the IRCIC I think mm. um you know which which a lot of the families just don't have any any confidence in or any any trust in yeah. it's been set up by the British government under the legislation I w- so I will I will make one point again um this this bill is not new we've known about it for the last couple of years it's been we've seen the text of it um as recently as as long ago as about 15 yeah about 15 months ago um I, i'm surprised the irish government said we're taking legal advice on it now you know i i'm hoping that they're a lot more uh, prepared and that they're re- ready to actually do what needs to be done anyway look we should get on to the 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 fact that people got agitated this week because there was a uh, satellite image of loch Ney and it showed a um a very unhealthy uh, lock. And for people who aren't aware, this is a big old lake. It's one of the biggest in Europe. It's the biggest on these, on the, on the, on the two islands that we have. And it's uh, one of the main sources of water, drinking water in, in, in the north. Tell us what your investigation um, looked into. And I want to, again, just to give you credit, I'm going to say you were on this early because this is something that you were looking into long before it's become uh, a viral sensation over um, a weird looking photo on social media. Thanks very much, Tony. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, people, I mean, the last couple of weeks have cause kind of an extraordinary, yeah, it's really propelled Loch Ness from being a very peripheral issue to being, you know, at the center of, of the, of the, the news agenda here. I mean, it's, it's topping the bill like on, on, uh, uh, you know, on, on daily news shows. It's not something I would have expected to have been the case when we were looking into this last year. Um, 
So yeah, obviously, um, we had um, mainly my work on this has been with the detail uh, investigative outlet, the detail based here, and we've done like a series of of uh, written reports and uh, a video piece and infographics and things like that. So um, yeah, it's really it's really good to see that. Um, you know that uh more people are covering it now obviously i'm not the first to cover it and won't be the last but um it's always great to see kind of more scrutiny of what's happening there and yeah i mean it's extraordinary it is as you mentioned it is the biggest uh freshwater body on these islands it's one of the the largest and most significant in western europe the uh you know the the it, it's it's bigger than Malta in surface area. It's nearly 400 kilometers squared. It's, uh, and, and the wetlands that kind of border it, they're something like 50 kilometers by 30 kilometers squared. Um, you know, one of the extraordinary things about kind of the lock, given everything that's happening is basically has every domestic and international, you know, environmental conservation designation or protection going. Yet it's clearly, I mean, it's 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 been in very poor health for a long time, and I suppose uh, a lot of sort of chickens are coming home to roost. Uh, I suppose this uh, this Ch- you know Ch- over, over chickens tummy in, in the form of what? Because what like they're saying mm-hmm. we're seeing wildlife dying, P- yeah. pictures of a swan floating on the surface, so- tor- stories of dogs that have drank from the lock that are that are dying, mm-hmm. foxes been found poisoned. Mm-hmm. So what what are those chickens? Well, in some cases they are uh, literal chickens, but like uh, we'll get to that in a moment. Um, so yeah, um, really like the, <laughs> um, I suppose like yeah, like the 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 most recent sort of focus around the lock is centered on these so-called algal blooms, um, which you know in most cases aren't aren't actually algae. It's um, it's basically a form of bacteria, it's cyanobacteria, which basically thrive in certain conditions and can release huge, huge amounts of toxins, which cause, you know, vomiting, diarrhea, and even in certain doses can cause death in humans, can cause uh, illness and death to uh, other animals of, um, you know, significant sizes. I think obviously in the uh, video reports that Sam McBride, the Belfast Telegraph, um, was involved with that went out in the last few days. You know, there, there are images of dead swans at the lock. You know, they, again, there have been reports of like, you know, dead foxes and deer dying. Obviously, the, the, the reports of people, of dogs dying ha- after having, you know, been in and around the, the lock waters go back to, to last year. And yeah, it's, it's, it's very worrying because, you know, um, these toxins are, uh, you know, they can cause a lot of problems in, in the US at water bodies there where there are high incidents or high levels of these kinds of toxins. Um, there, it's, it's been linked to higher risk of uh, liver cancer, high incidence rates of liver cancer, although I'm not sure if that causation has necessarily been proven there. Um, essentially, any kind of, you know, fishing or leisure activity in, in the water can kind of kick this stuff up and aerosolize it so even if you're just walking in and around the lock while that's happening you, you know you're at risk of breathing it in it's it's without doubt you know becoming a really serious kind of public health issue and then obviously you're getting to the whole just just finally to the you know what's what's sorry. causing it to me what is the cause so uh there are a number of causes basically um so when i said there are conditions that kind of uh, yeah. that, that the bacteria can thrive in 
um i would say like you have to kind of split up into sort of like longer and shorter term causes so like the long in terms of the longer term causes um that most people are pointing towards um one you have obviously uh agricultural runoff slurry and other kinds of uh nitrates um Yes, exactly. High levels of nitrates and phosphates that come from that go into the Loch Water. Obviously, there's a lot of farmland bordering Loch Ney. Um, sewage discharge is another major cause. So um, uh, data released by uh, one of the storm departments in 2021 showed that something like 200,000 tons of raw untreated human sewage is being uh, you know, discharged into the Loch every year. Um there's a, there's an invasive species of zebra mussels, which has been at Loch Ness since the mid 2000s, which essentially is kind of purifying or clarifying the water, which basically allows light to, you know, penetrate further yeah. and contribute to kind of a warming effect. And then obviously there is um, global warming itself for climate change, which has meant that the Loch water's temperature has risen, according to a recent study, by a whole degree centigrade since the 1990s. And I would say, like, finally after that. Um, another factor which really probably hasn't been given enough consideration in the kind of wider media discussion of recent kind of weeks is essentially industrial sand extraction, which takes place at the lock, is thought to be. We, we, we'd, have, we'd have called it dredging. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but this is dredging uh, for cash. This is dredging for cash. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Like, so the, the sand extraction is thought to be redistributing. Um, toxins in the lock bed in the sediments and you know there are planning documents that show that you know there's a very there there are a lot of concerns about such toxins being there and being mobilized by the extraction activity but you know the authorities here haven't ever commissioned any research as far as i can as far as certainly none that's in the public domain so it's been impossible to to establish that so far but um this is the major source of drinking water for northern ireland Yes. I mean, is it really a good idea to pump 200 gallons of shit into your drinking water or 200,000 gallons of shit into your drinking water? You wouldn't think so, no. You wouldn't think so, exactly. So as, as I was getting to before, like, you know, the Loch supplies, I think according to NI Water, the latest stats were 43% of the total drinking water in the north. It supplies around 50% of Belfast drinking water. Um, so, yeah, no, like, it absolutely all none of these things are 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 um you know uh are having positive or beneficial effects on the ecology of the lock and of course yeah there are quite i mean NI water has come out and said that the 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 drinking water is still safe and they've given assurances around that it's been suggested that they might actually be moving some of their extraction points kind of closer to the center of the lock um because of the growths of of recent weeks um but and that they have denied that. But um, yeah, obviously there are huge, there are you know really fundamental questions here about. I, I believe um, I'm, I'm getting a comment here from Professor Cryptosporidium who says everything is okay, <laughs> nothing to see here, folks. Everything is okay. But just we're joking. Yeah. But it's you keep mentioning Ni Water, but isn't it interesting because the water is owned by Ni Water, but the lock. <laughs> the lock yeah. itself is 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 not publicly owned. Um, do you want to tell no. us a little about a little bit about uh, uh, the absentee landlord? Well, yeah, this is this is the other, yeah. There, this is a whole a whole story or book in and of itself, almost. But yeah, like so, um, the the waters are yeah are are publicly owned. Um, but the 
bed, banks and soil of the lock, um, the Shaftesbury estate, um, the current uh, sort of Earl of which Nicholas, Nicholas Ashley Cooper, the 12th Earl of Shaftesbury, claims ownership of all of that. The Shaftesbury estate, actually, we discovered through archive kind of research last year, the Shaftesbury estate has also claimed, um, has also claimed uh, ownership of the waters in years gone by, like sort of, you know, several decades ago at this point, and has, you know, charged... Um, public water bodies for abstraction in recent years. And it looks like it looks like the devolved governments in the north and the Shaftesbury estate were gonna essentially be kind of at odds over this at one point because the the government at the time didn't accept the Shaftesbury estate's uh claim uh, to ownership of the waters. And it looks like the Shaftesbury estate has dropped that obviously since. Um but yeah I mean NI Water still pays ground rent to 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 Shaftesbury to this day. Um the Shaftesbury estate uh, still gets um significant or command significant royalty payments for the sand extraction activity so for every ton of sand that gets dredged at Loch Ney, uh, a royalty payment uh, goes to the Shaftesbury estate and something like you know 30 million or tens of millions of tons have been extracted since the early 2000s um they get uh royalty payments for hunting and shooting in and around the lock uh uh, you know, mo- most kind of small scale developments in and around the shores, you, you know, you will have to pay some kind of an annual sort of, you know, there may be quite small fees, but they will be still will be being paid to the Shaftesbury estate. So, yeah, uh, there's a whole, you know. So shafted and buried in Northern Ireland for, for drinking water, you know, um, yeah. this chap, this chap lives in Dorset. Yeah, yes. I believe so. He is the absentee landlord's absentee landlord, to to put it in a sense. Um, yes. What is there fixes? Can there be fixes? Um, I was just going to quickly add there before I before I get to your question. There, yeah, Martin, yeah. Actually, he doesn't actually just. Uh, well, Loch Ney is also like you know it is sometimes referred to jokingly as like the seventh county. Like it is like owning a county, but he also does own significant land holdings in the Inishowen Peninsula and Donegal. So, um, yeah, he, we may well be talking about one of the biggest landowners, if not possibly the biggest, I don't know. Well, like, we um, must stick in the word absentee uh, first, I, and we I, must. But I think, but in, it looks so, so he's basically like a one-man real estate investment trust. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, well, here here you go. Yeah, like, um, but yeah, so like, um, certainly, you know, now that we're having this bro- this broader conversation around kind of who owns what, like on the island, it is extraordinary to think that he may be the, you know, one of the biggest uh, landowners in Ireland in 2023, more than 100 years. Um, you no, know, it's right. It's, it's a really staggering thought, isn't it? Like we're sitting here now, we're, we're having conversations about, you know, in the last, like today, only Trinity students blockaded people, trying tourists trying to get into the library to see the Book of Kells to raise awareness about the accommodation crisis in Dublin. And here's a mm. guy who doesn't live here, who owns parts of the Inishon Peninsula and the largest water source on the island. It's mad. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. And again, you know, among the other things we kind of dug up last year in the archives was essentially like, so the, the devolved administration here has basically tried to, well, have, they've explored public ownership a number of times over the last sort of 50 years or so. And basically you go all the way back to the early seventies when they're like late sixties, early seventies, when they were, um, considering public ownership at that time. And you have senior Stormont officials basically saying in correspondence, you know, it would be madness to leave uh, an asset or a public utility of this importance to this many people 
in private hands. You know, they described the that's a direct, more or less. You but know, it's a, the, he's basically a Martin Joe, isn't he? I mean, that's who he is. He is a Martin. You're, you're Joe. showing your age, Martin. You know you'll who Martin to, Joe you'll is. You'll have to explain. You'll have to explain the listener. Uh, Mad Max Thunder Road, the guy who holds the, all the water, or Martin uh-huh. Joe. You know, he is, but but there has to be some way of gaining control. Can I I say, before you come in, Tommy, I just want to say, it's very hard to do anything when there's no Stormont. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I mean, and that's what what, what I was about to sort of qualify all that with is like, you know, at Loch Ness, sometimes it is very difficult to know where to place the emphasis. And like, um, of course, you know, um, different people with different agendas or, or different even just political biases will will want to place the agenda in, in what or sorry want to place sorry place the emphasis in one particular area and you know kind of uh i suppose not you know yeah draw attention away from others and that's partially been the problem but yeah of course like yeah one of the one of the big problems in terms of actually bringing Loch Ness into public ownership which i think you know most people would agree you know, I haven't done polling or anything on that, but I think there would be a broad consensus that that would, you know, be a thing that most people here would support. Um, you know, one of the big problems, big obstacles that has been the, well, not just the kind of lack of continuity with devolved government here, um, but also in some cases, just a lack of interest. So you have that kind of note from 50 years ago where they say, you know, come on, like you have to bring this thing into public ownership. It would be crazy not to. But then, you know, around 10 years ago, which was like the last time that public ownership was really sort of on the table and being explored, um, you know, civil servants at the time, basically task force was created, they drew up a report, scoping exercise, you know, took them about, I think, I'm not sure how long it actually took them, but they, they delayed publication, I think, for more than a year. And they basically concluded that they, they couldn't see any discernible value, that was the quote, um, in bringing it into public ownership at that time, which is just extraordinary. I think, I mean... Uh, Many, many people's reading of that was just that they felt it would be too much hassle. Obviously, the RHI um, scandal, among other things, has just shown how siloed governance is here. And obviously, if you're going to bring something like Loch Ness into public ownership, that really cuts across, I can already think of about half a dozen departments that would have need to have some degree of responsibility for it. And again, that's that's one of the really, really key problems with Loch Ness overall management. It's completely fragmented there's something like two dozen bodies that have some degree of control over or responsibility for Loch Ness. So in reality, nobody has, yeah, yeah, has yeah, yeah. responsibility too, too many, for it because too, it's all... It, the real too many chefs spoiled the broth kind of... Um, exactly. Yeah, just on, but on the, like... So again, I, going back to my conversation with Sam McElwain from, from Sunday, he pointed out that some of the, some of the decisions that were made to continue to do some of the things that they're doing to the Loch were allowed while Stormont was last sitting. So... It's not been, you know, the the politicians themselves have not covered themselves in glory here either. No, they really, they really haven't, and it doesn't. It's not helping matters as well. That um, you know, like even some of the, I think some of the, some of the statements from the, you know, from the departments have been extraordinary. Like you know, a number of journalists I've spoken to been covering it have struggled to get, you know, for for weeks on end, struggled to get, you know, interviews with uh you know senior officials in dara or in any of the other kind of you know relevant departments here yeah um and as as sam rightly points out you know a number of uh yeah a, a number you know uh, yeah a, a number of decisions uh that are having kind of really significant impacts on what's happening at Loch Ness, you know were made during the last 
setting of storm and you know and even afterwards i think so edwin poots who is the outgoing agriculture and environment and uh, environment minister it's all lumped into one department here capped uh financial penalties i think for repeated uh environmental breaches say it ain't um, say it ain't edwin poots say it ain't so i know hey, right can, can i so, can i just just exactly. for can, if i can ask sorry to cut across time but i think it's really important no, no. Listeners, please, please remember, we covered a story that Noteworthy did both sides of the border about chicken shit and how much how much it was been abused in um, in Ireland. OK, it's been dumped everywhere. When we say nitrates, quite often we mean chicken shit, by the way. That's just, this is the, but this is what this is the manure that's been dumped everywhere. And it, because they have an excess of it. And it's going into your water system. And that's what's causing mm-hmm. a lot of this. So I just think it's, you know, again, shout out to Noteworthy for the work that they did. I, I think it was uh, Niall Sargent at the time, Martin, who who had spent a long, yeah. long time doing that sort of that, that role. And when you hear stories like this, this is why that shit matters. Because you will literally be drinking that shit if, if, if we don't actually call it out. And, and, it, and it doesn't help where, where you turn around and say, someone like Edwin Poots comes in and says, and the fine for this is going to be limited at, at X, Y, and Z. Therefore, there's no real disincentive, Tommy. Yeah, this is it. And like, you know, even going a step back, this again was, was mentioned, I think, um, was mentioned, um, by, uh, Sam McBride earlier in the week. But like, you know, you can go all the way back to like, you know, going, going for growth, which is basically was the kind of intensification policy up here that was, uh, pursued and saw like, uh, you know, a huge kind of surge in the number of, uh, like in particular poultry numbers and, and pig numbers. Um, you know, yeah, that was, that was a policy that, um, you know, Michelle O'Neill and, and Arlene Foster at the time had a lot of responsibility for. And, you know, yeah, we're still kind of seeing the, uh, the consequences of that here and, and, um, not, not just the water quality at Loch Ney, but, um, you know, water quality all, all across, all across the North. I mean, there's not one, there's not one water body that is according to at least like some of the, the most recent metrics is considered to be in, um, in anything other than poor health. So, I mean, that's, that's really a, quite a damning indictment, I suppose, of of, uh, of what that policy is meant for for the environment here. And there has been a lot of focus on Loch Ney, but as you said, the problem is much wider than Loch Ney. I mean, the water quality, just in Northern Ireland, Southern Ireland, and the UK, pretty damn ah, shit. Ah, no, 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 no. Let's not, that's not fair. Fergal Sharkey's going to fix the water for all of us. <laughs> like, well, you know, it is a major problem, particularly in today's world where water is a commodity and it's treated like a commodity. I mean, it's a huge problem that people can't get clean, potable water when there is plenty of water that could be potable if we took care of the ecosystem that, that supports that. Absolutely, yeah. No, yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, no, I, I can I completely agree. And obviously, it's a it's an issue that's kind of risen up the, uh, how would I say? Like, I guess like the political agenda, I suppose, in 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 quite a bit in recent years. And yeah, clearly, it's it's uh, uh yeah, Fergal is a shark. He's pointing out he's done a lot of campaigning Actually, around. Yeah, it. I I, I said that, I said that tongue in cheek, but I should apologise because he's done amazing work in actually highlighting it. I just wish he was back in Derry doing it as opposed to uh, in on, on in England doing it. But nonetheless, but when it comes Holding to Tory's feet to the fire, yeah, yeah but, I know. <laughs> but but the, but the truth of it is, we're like again, you know, uh, from a from from the uh, an all island perspective. This is the sort of stuff that we're talking about when we when we talk about why you know again why the work of uh, noteworthy mattered when they when they uncovered all of that stuff being dumped into the water system when they but but more importantly to to bring it on to the next step 
how are we going to actually cope if if now they turn around and they'll say to you, Martin, and you know this is then time to if let's not we'll take it into private ownership, but let's have X, Y, and Z manage it. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, I well, you know, my immediate concern would be something that size has an impact on the drinking water for the entire region. So how can you leave the entire region basically at the mercy of, as you said, a kind of a chaotic system where, where because everybody's in charge, nobody's in charge? Yeah, this is the problem. I mean, yeah, we're, I think we're really approaching a, you know, a, a critical kind of juncture with regards to Loch Ness future here. And um, yeah, uh, some hard thinking has got to have to be done about, about you know, how it's how the resource can be managed for, you know, for few, for years to come. I mean, this is problem. These problems are not going to go away. Like, you know, okay, the the algal blooms may, um, you know, will will, dis, will disperse and 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 whatever else. As I as I mentioned, like uh, I was going to get to, there were some kind of short term factors that contributed to the growth this summer. So we had like the wettest July I think on record here and then quite a warm sort of uh, number of weeks afterwards even just kind of running into the beginning of this week uh, and that kind of still uh, warmth you know obviously was get, gave rise to the, the the extent of the the growth that we've seen but yeah I mean like yeah but, but Tom, you can't just kind of have but, this happening every summer yeah, but it's, tell me we, we might see these things more and more often now that's the issue I think so yeah, yeah so like I mean like we were mm-hmm. Constantine Gordiev was on with us in Colorado recently and he was saying he went off foraging for the first time at this time of the year when he, you couldn't forage in the in the because seasonally you couldn't at this time of the year in Colorado but now you can because the yeah. seasons are sort of shifting and and patterns are shifting, so you know absolutely. So yeah. so I mean, yeah, go ahead. And, and like for, for there's there like there just to quickly um, make this point, like you know there's a Lake Erie in uh, in the US um, in Ohio. You know, I think it certain you know like I, I think which also had has recorded you know very high um, sort of or extensive algal growth. Yeah. Um, and it could be because of similar kind of factors and particular kind of agricultural pollution. You know, I think Dave even had to, at some point, had to restrict um, the, you know, the amount of water that was being, um, you know, uh, allowed into processing facilities so as to not overwhelm them. I think in China and some other parts of the world, you know, they've had to try and deploy all kinds of crazy, crazy technologies to fight these things. And it has led to kind of temporary you know, scarcity and shortages of, of drinking drinking water in those areas, which is, you know, yeah, maybe it's a reality. I mean, it's hard to think of that, right, in, in, in this part of the world in Ireland where it kind of rains every other day, but like, it's raining right you know, now. Um, <laughs> exactly, right. Well, yeah, exactly. If you look out the window here, similar, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, you know, yeah. If, uh, tell me if you were, if you were given a, a magic wand and there was five things you could do straight five's away. Five's a lot. <laughs> I mean, straight away, there seems to be, and as you said, there's a reluctance on the part of the authorities to talk to Germans to discuss this. And we, you know, cynical hat on from experience. We know they're waiting for the algae blooms to to die down. They're waiting for it to blow over for another year, some other news story to take the headlines. But in real terms, you know, what five things can you do so that next year you don't have the same problem? Yeah, it's a, good, it's a good question. I mean, I'm not going to pretend to have all the answers, but um, I mean, in terms of some of the ideas that like have kind of come across that, you know, and, and in terms of kind of maybe demands that, 
you know, local communities and campaigners would have around this. Um, I think for most, I mean, most people agree that the ownership, you know, question is, is, is crucial and it's very difficult to, to uh, sort of address the fragmented uh, administration at Loch without, um, and to have an integrated management approach without being in control of the full thing itself. So I think, you know, I think for most people, uh, a priority would be public ownership of some kind. But then the question is, what kind of public ownership? <clears throat> so, you know, you just simply transfer um, responsibility for it to to Stormont in a very kind of centralized way. Then maybe you have essentially kind of the same model um uh, which obviously isn't working, but in in public, you know, uh, ownership, in, yeah, yeah, versus versus, um, you know, uh, the, the kind of ownership uh, model that's there now. Um, so I think really, you know, there is like the opportunity is something really quite exciting and interesting at Loch perhaps bringing in ideas of community ownership. Um, you know, you know, I'd like to see kind of local authorities and other sort of community, you know, cooperatives and organizations involved. That would be something very interesting. Um, I think like, you know, even before that, before that happens, because obviously that's, you know, going to, that's an unwieldy process that will take mm-hmm. a number of years to kind of play out. There's a real, there's a real, um, there's a, there's essentially, you know, Loch Ness is kind of an informational black hole in lots of ways. Um, it's been very, very difficult to get hold of data around all kinds of different things. And actually the last significant um, research facility at the Loch um, at a place called Trad Points near Ballyronan um, in the Northwest Shores, that closed more than a decade ago. That was mainly operated by the University of Ulster. So it's kind of extraordinary to think that there's no major research station or facility um by you know a, a water body of of such you know of such importance, it's an internationally important uh, water body and, and wetland system. So I think there's a very there's clearly a role there for the universities. Um, I'm not sure exactly what form that would take. Whether they would want you know you'd be talking about creating new research centers, some kind of a symposium event, um, bringing in kind of international researchers that you know uh, could kind of match the the international stature of the the water body itself and some of the protections it has that. So I think that's, I guess that's two things. Um, in terms of, I mean, I suppose, again, I, th- I think from an, e- this is quite important too. I think like from an economic point of view, I suppose, you know, there, there does, a lot of people can, can point to like the problems of, for example, sand extraction or some of the, you know, uh, some of the other pra- practices that are going on around the lock, but there needs to be an alternative economic offer for, for those areas. So, whether that's through, I mean, again, I don't, I don't pretend to have all the answers here, but whether that's through, you know, more sustainable forms of tourism, um, or whether that's you're, through- you're kind of talking fair, fair green deal there, Tommy. You know that that yeah, you know exactly. people wouldn't. But then again, there is also a balancing of interests. There has to be a balancing of interests. Can I come in on something, Martin, and say what we know, mm-hmm. which is a big fear that we've always seen play out, is that they turn around and they say someone sees an infrastructure project uh, when it comes to something like this. This is an infrastructure project. We need to build this and that, and this concrete will solve this flow-off moment. Whereas we know where it's actually, if you go to um, proper environmentalists with with uh, who know how to plant the right places in the right times in the right in the right areas to create to to, to stop runoff and to, you know that can deal with certain other things 
Same with like, you know, like people like we're seeing, I hate to say it, but we're seeing, you know, how, how catastrophic um, some flood barriers are causing flooding in other areas now across the globe. We're seeing it playing out time and time again. Some of the best people we've spoken to are the guy who said, well, actually, we did. We went two miles away from wherever we said it was flooding and we put we put in these trees and it changed everything within a few years. So. There has to be that kind of approach as opposed to an idea there. Someone can come up with a lot of concrete and someone's going to get a lot of money. And um, and that would be my big fear when it comes to these situations where someone looks at it as a project and the project costs billions of quid and they say, we're going to do this and we won't know what the implications are, you know, to the, to the wider environment down the, ro- down the road, Tommy. Absolutely. And look, I think, you know, um, like a lot of money, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of money, well, significant amount of money has been thrown at Loch Ness in recent years. And I, I suspect a, quite a, quite a lot will be thrown at it, like in years to come, to come by. I mean, like it's, uh, you know, a big part of crisis management is just to make it look like something's being done. But, yeah. um, yeah, you know, and, and I suspect, you know, I mean, the Loch Ness partnership, which is like a kind of a, a charity, um, with the number of local stakeholders involved, um, uh, which actually Shaftesbury, you know, is involved with as well. Um, again, you know, he needs a better um, name. We need to change it. This Shaftesbury thing, it's it's not going to work. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Well, they, they've just received a quarter of a million from, or roughly a quarter of a million uh, from the National Lottery Heritage oh, uh, Fund to explore public ownership. So, yeah. you know, there are, there will be, there will be. You know, we'll have to see what comes out of that. But, you know, I, we obviously had like the Peace Plus funding this week as well. One of the criteria there was cross, you know, cross border, um, water management. So, you know, I suspect there will be money sort of pumped into Loch Ness, whether it's through, you know, councils or some of those other organizations or government departments. But yeah, we really, you know, questions obviously have to be asked about where that money goes. And yeah, there's, no, there's no sign of any, uh, I won't say quick, but timely fix, Tommy. There's no sign of any timely fix whatsoever. Yeah, I agree. Well, there's a lack of leadership, I suppose, around this. You know, there's no there's no organization that's really, you know, laying laying out what the future of the lock is going to be. And like it's all you know, I suppose it is it is such a large it is such a it is such a kind of a uh, a complicated task that I suppose like, you know, like a lot of organizations are kind of reluctant to make that first step, but you know, there have been these other, um, as I say, there's been a number of attempts to explore, you know, an, a more sustainable management, uh, uh, sort of model at Loch Ness, even as recent as 2016, um, you know, it was done by an organization called, uh, the Loch Ness Development Trust that Bernadette Devlin, uh, or McCallisky, uh, was involved with. And, you know, yeah, like there, there, there she, is all this work she, that has been done. Troublemaker. <laughs> she lives by the shores of Loch Ness, so she is a, a very, yeah, a very relevant voice here. And uh, like we, we interviewed her last year for the. Um, oh, did you, did you go? Did you go, did. did you go up to the house? <laughs> she, she does. Uh, she does. She does often insist on you going to the house. Sorry for that burned out. I'll say nothing anymore. Um, no, but, yeah. but and I believe she gave a brilliant speech on uh, at the at the as Inish Moore. She was on last weekend. But anyway, look, we, we're gonna just one last thing. I will say I've been mm. critical of the the political failings, and obviously there are political failings. But I also yeah. think, for the most part, even if there was a sitting stormant 
they don't have that much power. The devolved sormant isn't as isn't as uh, isn't as devolved as, as they like to believe in terms of how much they can spend on projects that need to go, what they need to do, and you know the actual abilities to pull those levers of power. So that is also a, gr- a grave concern. I also, I you know, and yet the and the, of course the fella in me. Cards on the table, lads. Uh, to, to our loyalists and unionist listeners, I still want to unite this island. So you know, I I would rather have it all done in 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 a way where we all benefit from it. Um, and I think Westminster are shafting you time and time again. There's my opinion on it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, Martin, T- Tommy, thank you very much for coming on and having the conversation. I can't say I'm coming away any more hopeful. Oh, sorry, uh, and, I, I, and I can't. It seems that. Uh, you know, apart from the the problem with pollution and algae, that you know, chicken shit, both in real terms and in in terms of taking responsibility, seems to be a huge problem. Um, and I think that a change is needed. I also think sooner or later that drinking water source is not going to be a drinking water source. And then what do you do? Well, yeah, this is the question. Are we approaching? Are we are we approaching tipping points? Is another you know? Are we approaching tipping points at Loch Ness? And or you know, yeah, that again because because there isn't enough research being carried out into it in general. It's it's hard to now, kind of mind you. The, the South is awash with money. It might be worth our while actually buying uh, the shafting berry out, and we we could own it and think of that what that would do for for United Ireland. Here we're giving you clean potable drinking water because we love you <laughs> i think that would be a great great thing to do well yeah i mean even like you know if and when the the executive is back up and running here you know there is a lot of um you know there's a very strong political narrative around this for Sinn fein um you know michelle o'neill herself is from uh washing bay uh, on the <clears throat> southern shores of the lock um, I think Sinn Féin at their last Ardesh, um passed a, a policy around public ownership of Loch Um, And, you know, there are a number of Sinn Féin <clears throat> representatives who have been campaigning around this. But I mean, one of the things that has actually, you know, there's been a lot of anxieties around the Loch Ness in years gone by has been kind of anxiety that, you know, it's a nationalist talking point and whatever else because of the ownership. But really, you know, there is just a very strong, whether it's within the context of, uh, you know, United Ireland or whether it's within, you know, the, the context of the status quo here, there is a very, very strong argument to, to um, you know, to overhaul the management system at Loch Ness and to bring it into public ownership because you are talking about like a regionally, regionally significant public utility alongside yeah. a nationally and internationally significant water body. I mean, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's in a way it's kind of too important to be kind of just like kind of relegated into uh, or you know into uh, devolved into sort of a, a, a political a, football yeah yeah exactly but um and you know i suppose yeah the whole line of you know for Sinn Féin gov- governing for all is there is there <laughs> sort of their their slogan at the moment i mean you know there there is a there's a big opportunity for, for them to do something there but yeah it will it will require you know uh political will require uh, imagination it will require vision and um Thirst yep. does yep. focus the mind, though. I do hear that thirst focus the mind, Tommy. Well, there you are. That might be a good, <laughs> a good note. Thanks again for having this conversation. 
pleasure Thanks to talk with you. you. I would, I would recommend listeners if you're if this is if you're new to us, go back and listen to the conversation with Richard Murphy on how you could take the private water schemes that they have in the across the UK back into public ownership and how you could do it without this idea of that oh we just couldn't afford it because it's been run down so much. That that argument is absolute nonsense and it's just something put forward by lobbyists effectively for uh, who want a bailout of the private water schemes that have failed to do the upkeep that needs to be done um, thanks Tommy it's lovely to talk to you I hope to talk to you again um, we will be hopefully going to Gaza I believe in the next 24 hours to have a conversation about some of the stuff that's happening there as well um, and we'll be coming back Martin if you're if you're able to stand up we might do a Sunday show we'll oh I think we will a little catch up catch up yeah we'll, listen we'll talk to y'all very soon folks take care bye bye Tony and Martin Martin and Tony Speaking to interesting people only It's the Echo Chamber Podcast Subscribe now on Patreon